we have an opportunity here to bring presence to the ceremony that is your life. And my invitation to you is to stop whatever you're doing, wherever you are, just for this one precious moment and take a deep breath. Follow the breath into your root point and land yourself right here, right now, into your present moment. And exhale. Welcome to the space where all the magic is happening and prepare yourself to receive the wild, raw expanse that is available inside the dojo that is your life. You are the empowered center point creator of every single experience that you are drawing into your field at this time. When you recognize that and really get that in your bones, you will receive yourself as the magnet for the most perfectly expansive evolutionary curriculum that is precisely crafted for you to evolve beyond what was in order to claim all that is a match to the you who is free. And that is what we are here to do inside the dojo as we explore what it means to live a life beyond the edge. This is a Soul Fire production. What's up, Dojo family? I am coming to you today to share some deep learnings that I've been asked to receive in this season. And another way to say deep learnings is I've been knocked on my booty by life in many ways in this recent chapter. And um, that means I've been asked to feel an up surfacing of old emotional and physiological content that I had not touched in decades. It means that I've been shown some of my own blind spots. It's been, it means that I have been asked again to look at my relationship with the um, unknown and with the archetypes of the visionary energy and um, the parts that when we have a strong visionary energy can tend to get ahead of the current moment. And today I want to talk about the dangers of getting attached to outcome and the way that I've been learning or getting knocked on my booty in order to learn that has, um, has really been through actually witnessing my own um, visionary energy that is simultaneously one of my superpowers, but also sitting right next to our greatest gifts are often also our blind spots and our Achilles heels. The biggest lights, the biggest forces of our light and energy also have a shadow. And so I feel like I've been really humbled in order to see the shadow part of one of my greatest gifts as well. And that has come in the form of um, my own personal initiatory journey that I've been walking. And I'm 
going to share with you guys a little more context and details and in the form of the story of what's been occurring. But first, I really wanted to kind of lay down the intention and call each and every one of you listening forward into your own inquiry around how it is that you create and what happens when we start to become aware of what is occurring in our life and then overlay why on top of that, meaning we put our own interpretations on top of the happenings in our life. Where do we do that? Let's look at where we do that. So there's the pure factual what, like this is what is occurring. This is the force of life is bringing this experience, expression forward in my life. And then we naturally overlay our interpretation on top of what is happening. And then when we make up those interpretations, which this is where it gets complex, because often the interpretations serve, the interpretations create context and perspective around the what is happening for us to create through, for us to visioneer through, for us to step through, for us to feel empowered as human beings to recognize patterns and say, oh, this is what is happening. Okay, my interpretation of that is the momentum, the direction, the currents are pointing in this direction. So I'm gonna walk in that direction. I'm gonna give everything I have to moving in that direction. That's valid. That's important. There's a there's a gift in the ability to do that, to create context and perspective for ourselves and then devote ourselves to our interpretation of why what is happening is happening. The danger is then where we get hooked on an outcome. So we say, this is what's happening. Now I'm interpreting why it's happening. And when I interpret and really get attached to my interpretation of why what is happening is happening, I begin to get attached to an outcome. And I say, because this is happening and this is why it's happening, that means I make meaning about it. And I decide, this is a lot of I in this, I decide that this means that outcome is supposed to happen, needs to happen. And the moment I get attached to an outcome, a future outcome, is the moment fear is involved. Because when we get attached, now it's different to have a goal, to have an aim, to have a vision, to have a direction. But if you're attached to the outcome, the word attached is the centerpiece, that's when fear comes in. That's when we know fear is present. When you're attached to an outcome. This can be in the, in the form of your purpose. That can be in the form of your relationship. Like you um, meet someone and you're falling in love and all of the what's the, what is happening in your life is affirming. We're falling in love. We have so much alignment. And then you put the interpretation, which is healthy on that, which is, wow, there's a lot of alignment here with this person. I'm feeling like I want to orient my life around co-creating, collaborating with this person. And then, but you're still pulsing in the moment. You're in the alignment of the moment relative to your interpretation of what is happening. So you're saying yes to what is happening and you're in the current momentum of it. Then the danger is when you start to say, well, this is the outcome. 
because what is happening now, my interpretation of it, that means that this has to be my husband. That means that we're going to have kids together. And then when you become attached to that outcome, you will start to measure everything in the now against that outcome that you've become attached to. This breeds disappointment. This breeds pressure. This breeds judgment. This breeds control. This breeds a lot of things that can actually self-fulfill you right out of the outcome that it is that you think that you want. So that's one frame, like a relational frame where it's a little, it's like one scotch to the left, maybe in a healthier direction to say, wow, this is what's happening. My interpretation of it is I met someone where there's a lot of alignment and I'm a yes to it. I'm orienting the momentum of my visionary creatorship in the direction of collaboration with this person. And one goal or outcome, like I would love to see is that, you know, I, we get married or I would love to have children and I'm, I'm, there's an orientation towards that outcome, but can you orient your visionary energy towards an outcome without getting attached to the outcome? As soon as we get attached to the outcome, we move from visionary, creative manifestation, that type of power into tunnel vision from visionary energy, which includes an availability for like, this is the vision that I'm focused on, but I'm also open to being wrong. I'm open to something coming in that's greater than I even imagined, or I'm open to a correction coming in from the force of life that is my greatest devotion, right? So you can be in your visionary energy and devoted to an outcome you would love to see happen and be open. But the second, and it can be subtle because you could start that way and be like, yeah, you know, I'm open and this is the outcome I desire. And then subtly this attachment forms to the outcome. And then with time, it becomes not so subtle and the attachment to that outcome grows. And suddenly you're in control of the trajectory of your life and everyone and everything around you to try to manipulate it, to make sure that it's orienting towards the outcome that you've decided has to happen. And as soon as you are in that energy of attachment, your visionary energy turns from the healthy expression of it into the distorted expression of tunnel vision. And I will say I've been in quite the dojo over the last couple of years myself, because I didn't have that level of embodied belief that life was really happening for me. It was more like a meme. I was like, okay, like that's a good quote, but like, oh, now I know because I let everything go because I released fully into the unknown. And then from that place of literally being out of control, life showed up with the next stepping stone, every step of the way over the last couple of years, which has been monumentally important for me to develop a trust with something greater than myself in my own human control. So bless this trust with life that, wow, life really, there is a greater design that I am a part of. And there's something going on here that's greater than what I could control my way into. And that being said, I am a full participant in it. And I am playing an active role through my decision-making, which is a function of my level of consciousness. So the work that I've done, my level of freedom, my decisions are a function of that. If I'm in control and in fear, my decisions are going to look different than they will when I'm in freedom and in trust. So feel that. 
So one beautiful goal and aim is to develop a trust in life so that you're relaxed enough in your nervous system to make decisions from an empowered, liberated place. And that's the best we can ever do. Now, honoring the decisions as a visionary being, and I know that many of you listening have a strong visionary archetype. You're the ones I'm talking to, the strong visionary leaders are the most powerful when it comes to the ability to lead, to say, wow, this is, this is what's happening. This is my interpretation of it. Here's the overlay of the why, my, my framework that I've created for myself to move through. And now here's the vision I have. This is what I'm orienting my life towards. There's a a vision, a leader, a leader is moving toward an aim. So you're good at moving toward an aim, which means there's an outcome that you're aiming for. But the best leaders are the ones that are able to be open while in their aim. The danger, I feel it's dangerous to be in the field of a leader who is in tunnel vision and has that type of command and influence over others that is unable to see what I'm talking about here. And I'm talking to myself too, because when I go into tunnel vision and I know I have influential, like command, my energy can is commanding when I go fully into my leadership, it is really important. What I've learned in this most recent chapter through getting knocked on my booty again, like I've had to keep kind of being asked to look at this of, I know I have such good intention in my heart. I know that. And 90% of the time, my aim is clear and it's coming from an availability and an openness to being willing to be malleable, but I'm in the force of my energy moving towards an aim. The blind spot that I'm being shown is where I get in motion towards an aim that I've, from my interpretation, have interpreted as the best one. And then I subtly and subconsciously start to get attached to that outcome. And I'm operating under the assumption that that outcome is the best outcome. And then I put the full force of my command behind that outcome. And I'm subconsciously, I'm not even aware that I'm moving from tunnel vision and I'm not actually available for the peripheral information to come in. So this is really important. Now, a side note that actually feels really important is that I, I've been deepening in my relationship with the gene keys this last six months. I've been doing Richard Rudd's, the Venus sequence, and it's been so powerful. And we're on the final sphere of the Venus sequence. And every month, really the whole ceremony of it has proven to be very reflected in my life. Like what I'm moving through in each particular sphere that we're on that month is, is very much part of the teachings of my now moment. So for me, and this runs parallel to what I'm speaking to here, the sphere we've been on during the time that this blind spot of this tunnel, the vision, the visioneer, the visionary yielding from the highest expression of leadership, which is leadership, command and guidance with openness and malleability and deep listening, patience, humility, when that yields into the blind spot of attachment to outcome and the blinders come on and it's tunnel vision and every the whole force of that energy is behind uh, a vision without availability for new information to come in. So the sphere that is 
the one that we're on this month, for me, it is the gift of leadership. Moving from the shadow of arrogance to the city of humility. And what I saw as I, as I got deeply knocked on my booty, which I'll, I'm going to share a little story and create some context about how I experienced this and how the lessons arrived for me. But I realized that when I saw myself in this blind spot, and again, it's unconscious, it's innocent. If you have a similar one where you get really hooked onto an outcome sometimes, and then you just put the full force of your command in that direction. And it's, there's, you lose your malleability a little bit, which is innocent. First of all, I want to say that's innocent and we bring compassion to ourselves because what was really jarring for me about this is I didn't see, I didn't see that I had lost my availability for other information and feedback to come in until I really got hockey checked, like checked hard by life. When we're in that energy, it is actually a little bit arrogant and it's unconsciously arrogant. It's innocently arrogant that I'm using that word because it's in the gene key shadow and it's a really harsh word. It has a very negative connotation in the collective culture. And I really want to soften it here and just say that when we're in the attachment to an outcome that we think is supposed to happen, we're actually saying that we know better than life that it's all about us and what I think should happen, should happen, what I need to happen, needs to happen, what I on my human level have made meaning about what the what that life actually brought forward. Now I've made meaning about it, which we want to go easy on that part of it because sometimes the meaning that we're making is valid, important, and is what compels us to move towards a name that's important. That is like life, the what working, you know, the occur, the occurring reality of your life is meant to catalyze some meaning making from you so that you move in an appropriate direction that serves your highest evolution and the highest evolution of all those around you. That part's important. But when we decide that for sure, beyond any doubt, the meaning that we're making about what is happening means this outcome should happen. It's a little bit arrogant. It's, it's, it's actually having the blinders on saying, I know better. And it's also fearful. It puts a pressure on life, which is an arm wrestle with the universe that you're never going to win anyway, and says that everything from here on out has to happen in support of what I've decided is best. And those aren't the words you would ever use. You don't, you don't see it until you see it. So just naming that, I was like, wow, like I can see actually how that shadow could operate. And when we're in that shadow, you know, of attachment to the outcome and thinking that we know better than life, there's fear involved, which is innocent, right? It's fear of being in the unknown. As soon as we become passionately devoted to an outcome that we believe should happen and we stay open, there's a really deep vulnerability in that because we are, in order to be committed to the action required to actualize an outcome that we desire, and be open, we have to actually be in the unknown. And the unknown is a really scary and vulnerable place for a lot of people, including myself, at least at this threshold that I'll describe here. And so when we are fearful of the unknown, meaning getting an answer that we don't want from life or anyone around us, which is life expressing itself through other people, 
we go into control and want to control life into the outcome that we want because it hurts if we really devote ourselves to an outcome. Now I'll use another example. I used a relational one, right? So if you are devoted to the outcome of marriage with this person and you're attached to it, it's going to be really scary to stay also open to the possibility that it might not work, which you can feel takes the pressure off of it, but it's also really vulnerable to be in that full devotion to the desired outcome while also being open to other information coming in that you may not be able to see while still being in the full momentum. Same thing with a business or a legacy that you're leaving, a vision where you're like, wow, I am in everything in my life. I'm investing into this vision, into this mission. But if I get attached to it and it has to happen, there's fear in that. And we go into control and we get exhausted and we put pressure on life. And we actually start to actualize scenarios where we're going to get humbled. But if we stay open, we're fully committed to the vision. Commitment and attachment are different. You can be fully committed to a decision or a vision without being attached to it. If you're committed, you can also be open. Open is humble. Open is vulnerable. Open is saying, I'm committed to this as far as I can see from my human level. And I'm aware that their life might know something better than, than I could possibly see. So I'm also going to move at the pace of spirit. I'm going to move at the pace of life. As my, one of my greatest teachers says, you know, even one inch, one centimeter behind spirit is good. Let the momentum of life guide the way. If the current of your energy is ahead of the current, the current moment, that's where we want to start to watch. Are we attached to an outcome? Am I putting pressure on life? So life organized this humbling for me because I was in the subtle shadow of attachment to this outcome, thinking that I knew that the decision I made was the decision and that the outcome would happen being that's attached. I was attached to it. So I got this humbling. And then in the gene keys sequence, when that humbling happened, I could see the blind spot where I was like, wow, there was some big attachment here to what I thought was supposed to happen. And then I had to go through the hu the humanity, like feel my own humanity around some embarrassment that came up around the blind spot and really processing the deeper lesson that I didn't even realize was the lesson because I had already made meaning about what was happening and made up what the lesson for me was and would be based on what the outcome was. So I had to go through the very human process to like feel all the, the, the layers around this, that there's, there's not, you know, a perfect way that it's all supposed to look, you know, there's, um, a quote that Richard Rudd said actually in, in this course that I'm taking something around that he's more, he's, he's not, he's not more impressed by the perfect saint, but rather the imperfect saint who's fallen and picked themselves back up again is the one that's the most inspiring. And this is like, wow, I agree. I'm like, wow, that's leadership. That's what leadership is, right? It's not perfection. It's not never going into your shadow. It's actually being willing to be humble enough to see when life does knock you on your booty and you get the lesson. And then instead of still fighting against life and being so afraid to feel the layer of shame or embarrassment that might come up when we have a blind spot, that's a distraction 
so many people have such resistance, understandably so, to feeling the shame or embarrassment that might come up if we make a mistake or if we have a blind spot or miss the mark innocently. And then they, because of that resistance to feeling just the little ping of like, or sometimes big bang of embarrassment, it, it can distract you that then you'll stay attached to trying to prove that the decision that you made was the right one. And instead of just like going through that portal and getting humbled through it and then being open, opening again through the humbling, opening, like the humbling, what occurred for me was the humbling experience slowed me down enough to see where my visionary energy was pointing towards an important potential outcome that brought up a lot of important material for me to look at. I wouldn't change a thing about it, but what I had decided needed to happen at all costs, I was humbled to see, wow, maybe, maybe it isn't the outcome that I thought had to happen at all costs. Maybe there's something else that's different than what I thought it was supposed to look like. And that was really humbling to see, but what the humbling did was it opened me. It opened me to more possibility. So now I'll share a little bit of the story. And this is what um, I, I think leaders are made out of are these moments where we go through these humblings and we resurrect ourselves through our own humility and willingness to be wrong or mess it up or have a blind spot and then grow through it. Those are the types of, that's the kind of leader I want to be. And I pray that I am and the kinds of leaders that I desire to, to work with, you know, are the ones who are walking with that type of integrity. It is interesting. There's so many leadership trainings, you know, like let's train to be a leader. And I actually feel like the ultimate leadership training, if that is what your coding truly is, is the school of life when we move through these portals with true devotion and humility and humility means I'm willing to be wrong and open, but I'm not in false humility, like pretending I'm less powerful than I am. And I'm not in over overt effort, like trying to force or prove that I'm as powerful as I am. It's actually just being willing. The most humble expression of leadership is just a full yes to the, the action that is called for relative to the truth of the moment. So I'm being schooled <laughs> as life continues to do. And it's um, been such a deep journey in this most recent chapter. In fact, it's brought up a lot of my core material and relative to the framework of the Venus sequence that I've been journeying through, we, we literally were on the, the sphere of our core or the vocation, which is the six one. It's right where the Venus sequence ends and the pearl begins. So it's this transition from you're finally moving through the deepest core, core transformation, core healing, which also moves you right into your pearl, like your prosperity sequence, your service sequence, your purpose sequence. So my experience of this, it brought me to my core and it was literally, um, there was another, another piece that. Richard said in there, there's just so much came through for me in this one. He said, life will strip you to the bone when you follow your Dharma without question. And this was so true for me because what came up in this period of time is connected to my spine, literally the bone level. 
And if you've been following me for a while, you know that I had a spinal surgery. I was diagnosed with scoliosis when I was eight. I had a, I wore a brace for 20 hours a day from age eight to 13 to stop the spine from progressing. And at 13, I had a major spinal fusion where they manually straighten the spine and put rods in to hold it up straight, which was literally supporting my backbone. And there's a lot of epigenetic origins that I've discovered that are at the root of my scoliosis activating in the first place, which it's an epigenetic, it's genetic, right? And so the gene either gets turned on or it doesn't. And at eight years old, the environment that I was steeping in was one where it didn't feel safe. I didn't feel supported. I had a, a paternal figure who was in and out of um, treatment for addiction. And it was an unstable environment where it felt very unpredictable. And my protection mechanism that I went into was literally bending over backwards, contorting myself, making myself small, people pleasing to keep myself safe and preserve love. And I do believe that that type of contortion, that type of environment and what it incited in me as a protection mechanism played a part in activating that gene, turning it on. So I experienced the physical manifestation of my spine bending, you know, and gratefully the surgery worked when I was 13 and the spine was fused and the infrastructure of support with the metal held my spine straight. And I was able to return to full contact sparring and Taekwondo, which was my passion is where the name, the dojo comes from. And this was a huge part of my formative, um, strength, both my development of my warrior and also the deepest core wounding, as you can here, you know, it feels like from inception into my childhood, this spinal journey with my spine, having my own back, speaking my truth, reverse engineering the epigenetic origins of the scoliosis has been a huge part of my awakening journey in my own personal development journey of empowerment on a soul personal level for myself. And so as I've reverse engineered those protection patterns and launched the dojo ecosystem and I'm a stand for myself and others to really let go of and transform through and heal through all of the conditioned layers of misbeliefs and false limitations that would obstruct an individual from living into their highest design. I've freed my voice. I'm walking as a woman who has her own back. I have connection to my center my own backbone. And in relationship to that over the years, what has happened is the screws and hooks in my spine have started to dislodge and rotate. And one piece I didn't name is that when I was um, in college, somewhere between 18 and 20, I got sick and they misdiagnosed that the rods had gotten infected. So they thought the rods had gotten infected. So they actually did a second spinal surgery, which was like this phantom infection. Most people keep the rods and screws in for the rest of their lives. But for me, life organized in such a way that I had a phantom infection that incited the surgeons to go in, take the, the rods out, but they left the screws and hooks in just in case I ever would need a, another surgery or the spine curved in the future. So what that yielded two decades later, as I've liberated myself and there's no 
potential what if from my perspective? What if I keep bending over backwards or people pleasing or doing the things? I actually feel like I've reverse engineered the epigenetic origins. And what's happened is that a couple of the screws have gotten dislodged and rotated and one is creating some pain in my back. And so that has been the catalyst that has really created the framework of the story that I'm telling you now that, that set me up to see this blind spot I've been describing around attachment to outcome. And I want to share that background with you guys. So you can feel like how deep this went. This is like bone level. This is my actual physical spine that has actual physical metal in it. This is, um, as a personal transformation facilitator, as a liberation artist, as a ceremonialist, liberation work is what I've made my life about. And so I am so grateful to have this deeply clicked into my design and a a life path that I feel so devoted to, which again, this is that visionary energy. This is like, oh, I'm committed. I'm committed, but commitment and attachment are not the same. And this is where the shadow started to come in. So as I've continued to hold more in my work, and that includes a physically demanding way of facilitating multi-day, you know, 10 hour straight marathon overnight transformational ceremonial experiences where I'm doing a lot of linguistic and hands-on work and it's physically demanding. And as I've been clicking more and more into my design, my dharma and my passion and commitment for it, I have noticed that more frequently the my back has started to hurt. And there's one, I did go and get x-rays and there's one screw that's a, a little dislodged and rotated in one screw that's been causing um, pain in my back. So this is where we're on the level of what, so that's what, what has been happening, right? There's, Oh, I'm feeling more and more passionate. Well, I'm not even, I've been passionate and committed to my purpose for many years, a decade now, but there's a, an invitation to hold more and serve more. And I've been unlocking my voice and committed to like Olympic level training musically. And which is something I never thought I could do is sing and play the guitar and hold, you know, musical facilitation space in ceremonial spaces. That's, that's different to me than linguistic or hands-on work. Now I'm adding to the pot. Oh, I'm a woman who never thought I could sing or, or, was an artist. And now I'm learning to play the guitar and singing Icaros and opening up my voice in ways that are like so exciting for me specifically because it's like really transcending a limiting story and belief system that I had always had. I'm like, wow, like we really are limitless. There's such a deep devotion and excitement as I continue to embody more of what it is that I'm here for. So I've, it's just been an increasing experience. So that's a what I'm like, wow, what is happening is there's, I'm available to serve more and there's more being asked of through me in ways that I feel so committed to. That's a what another, what is, Oh, my back has been getting aggravated more frequently. Now here comes the layer of interpretation and why that I put around them. So I correlated those two things. And this is where there's subtlety because in some ways 
I do suspect it's true. The more physical capacity is called for through my body, the more connection I'm going to feel to my body and, and how much my body can hold. And so there is a correlation where, oh, I get to really be strengthening my back and holding my spine and looking at these layers. So I put some interpretation between the screws getting aggravated and my dharma. And this is where it got a little dangerous for me. I made that mean that I could only actualize my dharma at the highest level if I got the screws and hooks out of my spine. There's eight in there. And as this, the frequency of the aggravation started to increase, which I will say is still at a tolerable level. If I just relax and let it rest for a day, when it happens, then I'm back to rocking it out. So it's like, I'm still very operative and doing my, I'm a, I'm, I'm doing my life and I'm happy. I'm in service and it, I'm doing my life. And I do have to deal with some back pain periodically. So it had increased in frequency. And as at the same time, my passion and desire to serve more and hold more and this excited visionary energy starts to come through in this devotion, which is beautiful. Both of those increasing together, I was like, I made it mean that I need to get the screws out and I need to get them out fast. And I'm willing to do that, which is its own beautiful thing to feel because for the last two decades, the last thing I would ever have been willing to do would be to elect to have a third spinal surgery and have the screws removed. That was such a no for me. <laughs> there was no way that was my biggest fear. It would be going right into the core wounding. Now, these first two surgeries, I was not operating at the level of awareness that I am now. And I did dissociate from the body. I was 13 years old. I was you know, 19 years old for the second one in that age range. And I didn't have the tools at those. Hello, my loves. If you've been following me for a while, you know that over the past several years, I've birthed an ecosystem of transformational containers that have not only yielded profound personal evolution for all involved, but also true, lasting sisterhood. And the intimacy cultivated within this sisterhood has yielded a field of true safety that is profoundly conducive to personal transformation. And it keeps getting stronger. The dojo field has seen cohort after cohort of women claim their freedom, truth, and higher calling. And the women keep showing up for one another year after year. It's truly profound. I really trust the magnetism of the dojo field, and it is time now to call in the women for the next cohort of the dojo immersed. The Dojo Immersed is a three-month higher self-embodiment initiation for women who are leaders, facilitators, and natural guides ready to claim their next levels of service and empowerment. Saying yes to this container means a commitment to massive expansion. It means being willing to see everything that is not in full alignment in your life and being willing to dive deep into your own personal healing process, claim responsibility for your creative power, and create full congruency in every area of your life. 
Inside, you'll journey with an intimate cohort of 10 to 12 women who are devoted to doing the same. Women who are devoted to sisterhood and devoted to liberation in service of life on this planet. This three-month container centers on a three-night in-person immersion and qualifies you to continue forward into the deeper layers of entrainment available within the dojo ecosystem. If you're feeling the call, now is the time to fill out an application and set up a call to explore alignment with me. Visit zaharazimring.com slash the dojo immersed or see the link in the show notes to apply. times to stay with myself fully through the trauma of going under the knife, being cut open my full central channel in that way. That was, those were very deeply traumatizing experiences that had not been fully processed. So here I am at 37, more alive and on fire for my Dharma and my mission ever. And because I made it mean, oh, I I'm going to need, I need to get the screws out so that I can perform and serve and hold more. And I made that meaning. There's two things there. One is it's a beautiful thing that I've arrived in a place in my life where I am so devoted to my design and my Dharma and feel so clicked into it that now I know beyond a shred of a doubt that I would be willing to do whatever it takes as long as life is really asking me to do that. So there's a, there's a willingness there that the blind spot was once I made that decision, I'm having the screws out. There was like nothing else. I put blinders on, right? So there's the decision that came through that and there's a beauty in it. Now, the other piece, the meaning I made around it that I could only do what I'm here to do or that that not that I could only do, I didn't really believe if I could only do, cause I'm already doing what I do to a high degree in a way that I'm proud of, but I made it mean that I could only do more of it or do it better, that I would be enough. I would be better without the screws. I like made that mean. And that became dangerous because underneath that is this, and this is even a good thing too. It surfaced this belief that, oh, there's something wrong with me or that I'm not enough if the screws are in there. And I imagine you could see, and I'm seeing and still processing. Wow. I guess that makes sense at eight years old, seeing my spine start to curve in the way that I did and wearing a brace for 20 hours a day, not like the other kids and having a spinal surgery. And I want to say, as I'm saying all this, I'm I'm not orienting to myself like a victim at all. I actually believe going through these, the deepest passageways that we do in our life are what make us who we are that I actually believe that going through what I did is why I can do what I do, is why I do what I do. The thing I'm the most passionate about is connected to the thing that created so much pain for me as well. There, it's, it's the school. It was the school that I was educated in. So when I say that, I also, I'm looking at, at it through that lens and I'm having compassion for the eight-year-old and the 13-year-old having that major spinal surgery surgery, and the 19-year-old having to take a semester off at Rice University to come go through that second spinal surgery, which was a gift in itself to have the rods out because there was less metal in my spine than there would be for most people who have had a surgery like that for the last two decades. So I 
can see where the versions of me that went through that at some junctures started to believe that there's something wrong, that I'm not enough, that there's something wrong here that that's limiting me. This is limiting me. And I call myself a liberation artist. And so this upsurface, that part of me that was like, oh, this is limiting me. I need to get these screws out. This is going to be my reclamation. I really put a lot of juice under what getting the surgery means. And again, this is subtle because some of it is true. It is possible that without the screws in my body, I would experience a new level of safety in my being. But the subtlety is where is that giving the screws or the the victim story around it a power or misreading them where it's like, wait a second, creating safety in my body happens now. It doesn't happen relative to whether something outside of me, like a surgery happens or a surgeon says yes to doing it. it. Only if that happens, will I be safe in my body. In my body right now are eight screws in my spine that actually saved my life. And that served as an, an infrastructure of support, like a little support team back there that served for as long as they did until I got to a point where I reverse engineered the patterning so that I could show up as my own infrastructure of support to the largest degree possible. But still in there was a blind spot that this whole process brought up. And so the ultimate truly that I'm arriving into is, oh, the ultimate safety is fully loving and accepting myself exactly as I am. It's fully knowing myself as safe and able, including the hardware in my spine, which is a part of my spine now. So this is some of the learnings that are coming through it. But as I was in the slipstream of the decision, as I realized, okay, the, the, there's pain happening. I, I made the decision. Here's the shadow of the vision. I made the decision that I'm going to get the screws taken out and what that, and that means X, Y, and Z that I'll be able to serve more and sing better and feel safer and heal this whole epigenetic line when, and if I get the screws out. And so I was in the attachment to that outcome. I got attached to that outcome. Now I'm in a willingness with openness, but the story I'm telling is from attached to that outcome. So for about six weeks, it was surreal to me that I made that decision because overall, again, in my life, I'm very operative. There's like a big chance that I could spend the rest of my life with the screws in and not have it be like a debilitating emergency situation where I need to get them out. That being said, there is a small chance, there is another percentage of chance that one or some of the screws could create an urgent emergency scenario at some point in the future where I do need to get one or some of them out. So I thought that I was just getting ahead of it and saying, I'm deciding now to do this thing. And I got attached to that outcome. So I go to the surgeon, I have the appointment with the surgeon and Mind you, I was so attached to the outcome that I recorded a podcast sharing that I was having this surgery and all the things that around why, which some of them are still true as possible timelines, but there was very little openness to any other possibility when I recorded that podcast. And I'm like, 
feel even, I still feel a little bit of embarrassment because this was my blind spot. It's not that I decided I would be willing to have the surgery. It's that I decided the outcome would be the surgery without any openness to any other timeline. So I go to the surgeon and the podcast released the day I went to the surgeon and I had to end up taking it down after I went to the surgeon because he checked me hard and I had to really look at where I was super attached to it going the way that I thought that it was supposed to. So I went to the surgeon and he, we brought the x-rays up and there, there they are. Sure enough, eight screws up and down my spine and I'm in the, the, doctor, the surgeon's office, like at the edge of tears, telling him the, the, why it's important to me to get these screws out and how I've decided that, you know, I'll be better without them in. And he looked at me and was really set in his resolve that he feels that the benefit the potential benefit does not outweigh the risk at this point, and that he's concerned that the woman he's looking at right now, who's now crying because he's telling me he does not feel like he would be willing to do it at this juncture, he tells me that the woman who's sitting in front of him, who has this meaning in her life and is vital and vibrant and wants to serve more and, and be even better, he said, I'm concerned. I don't want to see the face that you have with tears on it right now on the other side of the surgery because you're not better and because you didn't get the outcome that you wanted because what you're dealing what what is happening here is you have there's eight screws in your spine and they have been in there for two decades we don't know what kind of tissue or bone has grown around them essentially my spine has accepted the metal my spine has accepted the support my spine has accepted what they symbolized and now there, but at the same time, this is where the subtleties are. There is one that's dislodged and there is one that is causing a lot of pain. And so there is a subtlety here, but I was very attached to having them all out to the surgeon saying yes to everything I had made that mean to it happening quickly and easily. And it being like a thing that's happening in the next couple months. And it was just like, I just was in such a tunnel vision about that. And it was really wild how roped into the whole decision that I got for myself. And when he came in and said, I don't think we should do it now. Like we need to actually explore even more deeply to prove that there's linkage between the pain and the screw. We need to, I would recommend you get a second opinion and, and really continue to be in the exploration of whether you want to do this or not, because this is a major spinal surgery and there's a lot of risk involved. And if you're operative and thriving and loving your life, you don't want to go through the trauma of another surgery. We usually do everything we can to avoid having surgery. And, and so he was in that kind of energy. And I'm like, it's really hit me like a ton of bricks because of all of the pressure and meaning that I had overlaid onto it. So after the appointment, at first I was really upset. I was really angry with this surgeon. I was still attached to the outcome. And I was in the energy of, I'm going to get a second opinion and a third opinion. And we're this surgeon, he just wasn't the guy. He wasn't the guy. I'm going to find the guy. Do you feel? I was still in the attachment to the outcome that I thought 
with in buffering even information coming in that's saying from life that's saying, hey, Zahara, hold on, hold your horses for a second. Like, let's really slow down with this enough to listen for whether this is supposed to happen, whether it's supposed to happen right now. Is it all the screws? Is it some of the screws? What's the timing on this? Like, let's really look at this. Hold on. And it took me a second to get real knocked on my ass because I was grieving the hope that I had that it would be this obvious, easeful thing. Cause I've had two of them already. And, and just remember I was barely dissociated in the last two. So I didn't remember a lot about the last two. I was just in the slipstream of everything I had made this mean. So when he came in and checked me, like I was like a hockey player skating, like 70 miles per hour. I don't know how fast, but probably 20 miles per hour towards a goalpost. And I'm about to score, like hit the puck in the goal. Like I'm like, this is the outcome. Boom. And then the other hockey player comes and just like checked. And it's actually for the best, you know, it's actually a good thing that the first surgeon I went to was more on the conservative side and could bring in that strong of a check because that it took that for, for me to kind of get shaken out of my attachment to the outcome. And once the emotions rest subsided, it looked so different to me. I was like, wow, I kind of went from the pendulum of no way will I ever have the surgery to the pendulum of absolutely, I have to have the surgery. I have to get the metal out to being checked, which then put me kind of like right in the middle, which is, whoa, okay. Now, once I caught the emotional, the, to the morning of the attached, what I was attached to process through and the little bit of embarrassment process through because I really thought this was going to happen. And I put all my life force into it. Then it was like settling in the center of saying like, okay, all right. So I was checked here. I've been humbled. I've been knocked on my ass. Now, maybe the lesson is not everything that I made up. It would be in the way that I thought it would be. But one of the lessons here is actually seeing the blind spot of how attached I got to the outcome relative to all the meanings that I made about what was happening. So in the middle space, I have been able to settle into the beauty and the way that this decision, again, I wouldn't change any of it. And the way that this decision that I was willing to make brought me into contact with the metal in my spine that I had done. I, I was doing my best to not be in contact with for these last couple of decades. I was doing my best on a subconscious level to dissociate from. And I actually really needed to process a lot of that locked up emotional and physiological content that came up in the six weeks that I was sure that I was about to go into a third major spinal surgery that unlocked a lot of somatic material. I was waking up feeling depressed and sadness and having a lot of tears and just like in the, I felt dissociated quite often. And I was able to bring my current state of consciousness into that dissociation and really stay with myself through these layers that were coming up. And it was very healing for me to be able to really contact that. And now I feel more deeply in contact with my own actual backbone, which includes the screws at this moment. And I get to reframe the story of instead of making them the bad guy, actually making them like the support team back there that have really served. And perhaps it's not that I can, it's perhaps it's the opposite. You know, again, I want to be mindful here of 
any story because I don't actually know what the outcome will be, but I know that now I'm willing. And I know that I went to the extreme of saying, oh, I could only do what I'm here to do at the highest level if I don't have the metal in my spine. Well, there's also the other timeline of that, which is maybe I'm doing what I'm here to do because I have the metal in my spine, you know? And so if the, there's gratitude for that, there's resilience that I've learned. There's trauma healing. I facilitate trauma healing work. I've been healing deep trauma throughout my life, which gives me the integrous capacity to facilitate the work that I do. So there's a lot of gratitude and embodiment that has come from the experiences that I've had, including the metal. There's so much now, now from this humbled place that I don't know. And I'm also recognizing there very much could be, and likely is some middle ground now that I know that I'm willing to go in and have some of the screws removed where I didn't, was not in that place before, there's a different feeling now between being willing and attached to the outcome, which had me put a lot of force and control on life to make this happen, make it happen fast, because I was also scared. It was really scary. And it still will, would be very scary if I, if I do need to go forward with it. So instead of being willing and attached, I feel willing and open which actually feels like a way healthier way to go into the exploration of whether or not it serves the highest for me to have a third spinal surgery to get some of the metal out. If that serves the highest, I actually really am in a place right now where I don't know. I, I, I don't, I don't know. I have to continue. I get to continue on the discovery process of it. It makes sense to me now why the surgeon shared that you know, the, normally the only way that they would go into someone's spine with, to get the metal out, which has been in for decades. So again, there's no way to know how much, uh, biological material has grown around it, bone tissue that becomes dangerous to remove, to get the screw out when it comes to the spine, there's no way to know. So, you know, he shared that really the only way they do that is if there's a life-threatening infection or debilitating pain, which then tips the scales to where the potential benefit of having the surgery might then outweigh the risk. But in my case, he's like, if you're able to manage the pain and you're still rocking it out in your life, it is really very likely that the risk is far outweighing the potential benefit. And so now I'm like, wow, it, it was really jarring for me that I was moving so fast in the direction of my attached outcome that it was like hard for me to take that information in. Like we're talking about my spine here. And so again, there's beauty in the willingness that I am, but now I'm able to move at a pace that includes listening to the new information that's coming in while still be, being willing. In this case, it's a little different than the relationship or the business example I gave because I don't know that there needs to be an outcome that I'm committed to other than the outcome I'm committed to is unwavering alignment with my design. And I know that life will bring in the information like it did this time. Life needed to bring in like a hockey player level check to be like, oh. and in many ways, it, <laughs> in many ways, I actually, I think it's all happened perfectly because the decision and the strength of the decision was enough to help me decide to ground for the next year, which actually still feels really true. The momentum of the decision was enough to bring up the material that I actually would not, would not have been able to unlock if I didn't 
make that decision on the physical, somatic, and emotional level relative to the surgeries. It the decision was enough for me to now be able to be restful in a willingness to actually be in the inquiry of whether some of the screws are going to come out at any point. Maybe it's not all of them, but maybe it's just the two that are creating some irritation or are rotated. You know, like there's middle grounds and different pathways that are that are open that uh, I wouldn't have been able to see when I'm in the tunnel vision energetic. And so now I'm in this really deep listening. And I think that this lesson is transferable, whether for me, it's happening through the, the story I just told, but now it's like, I can really track more potently when I get into not meaning making or interpretation that's healthy and supports me in making a forward motion towards an outcome that's desirable. That's leadership, that's beauty, that's devotion. But when I get attached to the outcome that's desirable in any area of my life, there starts to feel like an energy of pressure and force and like needing for it to happen. And that comes from lack, that comes from fear. And that's where we want to start to watch where our energy is coming from. So there's a quote by Rudyard Kipling that I want to read that I feel like encapsulates a lot of this message. And I, and I also heard this in the gene keys sequence, and I, I just found it to be so powerful relative to this journey from arrogance to leadership to humility. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, if you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too, if you can wait and not be tired by waiting or being lied about, don't deal in lies or being hated, don't give way to hating and yet don't look too good nor talk too wise. If you can dream and not make dreams your master, if you can think and not make thoughts your aim, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same, if you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken, twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools, or watch the things you gave your life to broken and stoop and build them up with worn out tools. And he goes on in this quote, but he really ends it with, and if you can do all that, then the world is yours. It's just so paradoxical and requires so much willingness leadership, and humility all in one breath. So I think that's all I have for you guys today. I really pray that anything that came through in this process that I've been in served you in any way. That always feels so good to my heart to know. If it did, please um, leave a rating, a review, a comment, send me a message. I love hearing from you guys. And I just feel so grateful for the depth of your listening and the way the Dojo family stays on the beam right along with me. Sending you guys so much love and I look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you all for creating this space to receive this transmission and for having the courage that it takes to live your life beyond the edge. If you feel the call to go deeper with me privately or explore the Dojo ecosystem, the best place to start is by visiting zaharazimring.com. 
and taking your free micro dojo. You can also find me on Instagram at Zahara Zimring, and I love hearing from you guys. So feel free to send me messages, make comments, and I will absolutely get back to you. I also would deeply appreciate if this episode or any of these episodes have touched your heart, leave a review as it really supports this show in touching more hearts and more lives all around the world. Thank you for joining and I'll see you next time.